Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on April 3rd, 2023. That's right, it's officially Q2 and closer to spring. I start out writing the script from a nearby coffee shop as I work to switch things up a bit. You know, making changes in the routine as I observe changes in the seasons. It looks like everyone else is doing the same thing. Plenty of dogs out for walks, people strolling down the sidewalks, and even birds back with the warm weather and their sweet songs. Unfortunately, I hear that all of this change will be thwarted soon, as there are rumors of snow in Denver on the 4th. You know what they say, get while the getting is good, and the place you should be getting is into that sunlight. But you didn't come here to listen to some engineer harp on the importance of vitamin D. That just isn't in my wheelhouse. This is, in fact, the Rare Petro Podcast, where we will talk about energy, and I think it's high time we get into that. First things first, commodity prices. Believe it or not, we are back to $80 oil. It has been exactly a month since we last saw that price point. This time last week, the price was only about $72.88. From there, it snaked between $72 and $74 up until about Friday. Late Friday, the price was able to climb to the better side of 75 and I was stoked. Much to my surprise, I checked this morning, and this price was on the top side of $80. That's right, a $5 jump over the weekend from market close to market open. So, how does this compare to the Brent benchmark? Well, Brent moved the same direction and spiked up, but the spread shrank pretty dramatically. Before I get into any conspiracy theories, know that volatility plays rather heavily into a lot of this unique price action. When things move so hard, they are bound to be a little bit unstable and require some time to achieve equilibrium. It's kind of like trying to measure the water level in a pool if you just dropped a dump truck load of water into it. You need time for those waves to settle and for the true level to make itself clear. That being said, a lot of this massive change in the price action is a result of some truly once-in-a-lifetime activity. Yes, I know we had a great inventory report from last week with a big draw, but let's focus on some other things. I know the phrase once in a lifetime got tossed around a lot in the past three years, along with the word unprecedented, but I'm pretty particular with the words that I choose to use on this podcast. We have a lot of countries that trade millions of barrels weekly who are now starting to pick sides and settle contracts outside of the dollar. We will talk more on this later, but the important thing for you to know is that oil has been traded on the dollar for virtually forever, and this is a big change to the status quo. But back to the statistics before I get too carried away. I promise we'll talk about it some more. Some people are already predicting a pretty bearish falloff for oil. Most of it comes down to fundamentals and benchmarks. But last week, folks were expecting prices to spike to $80 before falling off to prices between $40 and $60. The first part of that prediction has since materialized, so let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that the barrel can maintain strength through the week. Now, a lot of this analysis was based simply on the geometry of price action over the last year and a half, two years, so not entirely supply and demand focused, or even looking at the geopolitics. Natural gas has witnessed the crazy volatility on the side of the more liquid commodities and decided to do nothing. This time last week, Henry Hub price was about 210. Right now, the price is about 210. Again, I think the biggest difference here between this and natural gas really comes down to export capacity. Yes, barrels are being traded in forms of currency that are not the dollar, but some LNG is as well, and it still remains unaffected. So it probably has to do with that, and I would also imagine a little bit to do with the controversy that is the Nord Stream pipeline and how the U.S. is tied into that. 
Will natural gas go up in price? I don't know. Fundamentals would seem to suggest so, but I just can't be certain. This guy has pretty much defied all expectations this year, so I suppose the best thing we can do is observe so that we can better predict it in the future. Next up is the rig count. No big changes as we continue to oscillate between 740 and 760 rigs. The most recent report from last week was a drop of 3 rigs, bringing us to a total of 755, or 82 more rigs than we had this time last year. Across all basins, we see one lost rig from the can of Woodford, Haynesville, Mississippian, and Permian each. Otherwise, no change. State by state is a bit more exciting, with four more rigs in Texas and a new rig in Kansas, surprisingly enough, bringing their state total to one. Other than that, we lost one rig in Colorado and Louisiana each, two in Oklahoma, and four in New Mexico. In recent weeks, we saw more emphasis on the New Mexico side of the Permian, but it seems it's shifting back towards Texas. There are other finer details to comb over, but in order to save a little more time for our stories, I'm going to keep this moving along. Our last statistic to visit is the state of domestic inventories. Nick is back from spring break and put together another excellent report last week. If you didn't catch it, I encourage you to fast forward through this segment and read it yourself on www.rarepetro.com where he has included some wildly helpful visuals that truly emphasize your understanding of current trends. Enough of my gushing. Here's what Nick had to write. Although the streak has been broken, it's still refreshing to see another draw and a large one at that. 7.5 million barrels. The EIA obviously didn't expect it, considering they forecasted a build of about 100,000. The API also didn't expect a draw, nor such a large one at that. They did, however, report a slightly smaller draw of right around 6 million barrels, about a million and a half less. According to various reports, refineries are back online, meaning that refining capacity is back up. A jump in refining capacity is most likely the cause for the draw this week. Not only was there an oil inventory draw, but a gasoline stock draw as well. Summer demand is picking up again, and gas prices are holding steady in the face of increased supply, despite strong demand. More specifically, gas is on average exactly 5 cents more expensive this week, with the most expensive gasoline in, you guessed it, California. The cheapest gasoline is none other than Mississippi. Diesel cheapened this week by 3.4 cents. Nothing to celebrate, but it's hopefully a sign of cheaper gas in the long term. Due to the sporadic and distant updates on import-export data, this section of the report will only be updated when the EIA updates its information too, and it looks like the EIA has refreshed its data, so here's the second installment of the crude oil imports-slash-exports section. As of the week ending the 24th, crude oil imports have hit their lowest in a month by nearly a thousand barrels of oil per day. Crude oil exports are also down on the week, sitting at 4.5 million barrels per day. Data on where exports are going and where imports are coming from hasn't been updated since December, so here is that information. It looks like most of the exports in December came from Canada, no surprise there, and most went to Mexico. Thanks again, Nick, for another great report. Now we move on to our news section. Normally, I hit two or three big stories in this section, but today I really want to focus on a topic that has been near and dear to the Rare Petro organization, the petrodollar. For years, we have been talking about how many countries would love to challenge the status of the dollar. As I'm sure you know, the oil industry has strong roots in the United States. Ever since Sir Edwin Drake and Uncle Billy worked to drill one of the first productive oil wells in Pennsylvania, it's continued to be a wildly profitable business for generations. 
Because of our strong understanding, the United States helped many other countries excel at developing their hydrocarbon resources. The most important place they did so was Saudi Arabia. Eventually, the Saudis desired to produce independently, and in 1973, the petrodollar system was created between our two countries. The U.S. and Saudi Arabia agreed to price and trade oil in U.S. dollars. This means that any surrounding country purchasing oil from Saudi Arabia would do so in dollars, and obviously the same held true for the U.S. Now, that's a very high-level introduction, but it's the basic idea, and I definitely encourage you to go read some more if you think it interests you. Through the inception of OPEC and growth of energy security worldwide, oil would be traded in dollars. It was just an easy baseline. This was great for the U.S. because it created an absolutely insane demand for the U.S. dollar worldwide. Basically, if you were burning oil, using oil, manufacturing with oil, producing oil, anything to do with oil, you would need U.S. dollars. All in all, it helped us preserve the dollar as the world reserve currency, though now the story begins to change. Last month, we saw a few events that are rather shocking to the established system we just discussed. On March 8th, Reuters reported that multiple trading and banking sources had disclosed that Indian customers were paying for the massive amount of Russian oil they were importing in the dirham of the United Arab Emirates and the ruble of Russia, but not the U.S. dollar. On March 28th, Brazil and China announced an agreement to make all, big emphasis on all, future trade transactions in their own currencies. On the same day, Total Energies of France announced that it completed its first purchase of Chinese LNG using the yuan. On the 29th, Saudi Arabia announced it had agreed to become a dialogue partner in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which was designed to compete with similar Western organizations. This popped up just after the Saudis had agreed to once again establish diplomatic relations with Iran as China helped as the middleman to make sure Everyone played nice. All of this news has a common thread. Folks are tired of listening to the U.S. They are tired of U.S. using trade sanctions as a tool. They are tired of the U.S. sitting fat and large on the exorbitant privilege of owning the world reserve currency while complaining about things that seem trivial to everyone else watching. China's promising a dream of truly unrestricted trade. The BRICS nations are excited to create new trade agreements. Would you like to join all of us or sit with the U.S. and West Europe? Hell, we can't even say West Europe at this point. France is starting to trade in yuan, and that is huge. If France begins to do business like this, it makes it that much easier for Germany and other nearby Western European countries to do the same thing. At this point, there's a serious threat of a new world order, a new cool kids table, and the U.S. is not invited. So what does all of this mean? Is the U.S. doomed? Are the BRICS nations coming to invade the U.S. and enslave all peoples in the country? Probably not, so don't let those scenarios scare you. What is likely to happen is the value of the dollar could crater, and we could see a very difficult period of economic decline. Maybe it's easier than that 2008 recession, or maybe it's harder. No one can be truly sure. It will likely be a period of great social change and reevaluation of what is truly important to American culture a great time of getting back to manufacturing things ourselves and rediscovering independence in industries we have long since offshored. Things may be difficult, but there will be opportunities present, especially opportunities in energy. The best thing you can do is be prepared to take advantage of those opportunities by continuing to expose yourself to all aspects and all industries. 
energy will be important and required, so tuning into this podcast regularly is a great way to start cutting your teeth. We won't sell you fear. In fact, we won't sell you much of anything at all. We will do our best to continue to provide you with objective and enriching news, data analysis, and conversation that will be sure to introduce you to new perspectives and ideas. All you have to do is frack that follow button so you don't miss a morsel of this valuable information that we are dishing out for free. I encourage you to go online and do some of your own research. These are really thrilling times and a lot of interesting news coming out relating to the petrodollar that I don't have time to mention in this podcast. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.